0: It's good to be in the house of God. I just want to pray one more time. Lord, you're here. We know that already, but we just welcome you. We just open the doors to our hearts right now. This is a personal thing, our relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that you have a building, Lord, and that it's warm and it's comfortable. We thank you for all those things that we call this building the church. But Lord, the church is right here within our hearts. It's you and us. So Lord, we open the doors to our hearts today. And we ask you, Lord, to speak to us. We need a revelation. We need encouragement. We need some strength. We need some faith. Lord, so we're praying that you would come and be with us. And Lord, we know you're going to answer that prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I felt like I needed to stay here a little bit longer, at least this week. And we'll see what the Lord says for next. But I want to just spring off of a scripture that we've been going off of. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I we went through the entire story of Esther, and I'm not going to go into that story today, but I've been springboarding from it. I just feel like this is the time and this is the season that we're in. It happens to be that exact season. Purim is right now, March. So that's very interesting, and I, I, I like those things. We don't need to follow Um, time frames or dates or anything like that, but I believe the Lord knows what he's doing and it's a special time. It's there for a reason. So in the book of Esther, to get right into it, the book of Esther chapter four, we've been, last week I went off of this scripture. It says in verse 14, it was, was Mordecai, Esther's cousin, speaking to her and he said, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief For the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Then he says a very special line. One of them, what I believe is one of the most powerful lines in the book. And then I want to look at the second verse that's just as equally as powerful. But he says, who knows? if you're here right now, who knows if you were born, who knows if the workplace you're in, the family that you were born into, no matter what the situation, no matter what your background, no matter if you thought that I had a rough upbringing or a good upbringing, who knows if God knows what he's doing and has you in that place, whether it's good, bad, good looking or ugly, wherever you are, who knows, maybe God has you right where you are for such a time as this. And I said a statement last week, I just want to say it again, and I'll move off from there, that your appointed time was when you were born. God knew what he was doing. The Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb. It doesn't matter. You know, we try to put all these things, the world today, well, what about rape and what about this and what about that? And we have all these reasons for to, uh, to end pregnancies. But the Bible says that God, not that he ordained that, but he ordained you inside of that womb. It doesn't matter what the situation was, God formed you. And there's incredible testimonies of Christians today. There's a woman that was aborted and she didn't die. She was left on the table to die. And they came back in and she was still alive. And today she's a preacher of the gospel. And the thing is, is that God knows what he's doing. You were born on purpose. It doesn't matter what your parents told you, it doesn't matter what your teachers told you, it doesn't matter what anybody says. God said that I made you, and I made you for a purpose, and now is your time. I want to go from there, that this is your appointed time. And I think it's so important that we realize, last week I spent the sermon speaking on this reality that what James says, that time is a vapor. It's coming and going so quickly, you can't grasp it. You can try as hard as you want to grasp it. You can't, it doesn't matter how much time you have, before you know it, that time that you gave yourself to do such and such is gone. And that's what the Bible warns us of, just to be aware, to be so serious about the life that we have. But then there's the next line. It says on verse 15, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Verse 16, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. I'm gonna prepare myself. There's, uh, this is a serious time. I've realized that this you're right. This is a time that I need to be serious. This is not a time that I need to be that I can be quiet. I can't afford to be quiet. I will not. I believe you. I'm going to prepare. The fasting is just a symbolism of preparation of the heart for God to do something. It's just a symbolism of really you being here today, just getting up, braving the cold again, braving the time change or whatever your day was getting here. Sometimes it's a struggle in your life just daily to go for God isn't it but we're gonna we do the things to prepare anyway we we push on and we say Lord I am serious about you I'm gonna seek you I'm gonna pray I'm gonna I'm gonna fast I'm gonna do whatever it takes you don't have to respond right now I'm just gonna do it anyway because I want you I realize this time and that's what she does and the Bible says that she said if I must die I must die what an amazing line that she says and I realized that this connection between the time and the times and her response that I must die. There is this connection. Jesus, the Bible says in John 18 37, the Bible says that he said, I was born, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. It says, for this cause, I was born and for this cause, I came into the world. His time, his appointed time was death. His time that God gave him, he knew it. This is why I was born. It's important to realize, first of all, that you are Loved by God. Some people need to just hear that, that you're loved by God. Some people need to hear that he has a plan and purpose for you, no matter what, I'm going to say it again, no matter what anybody has told you, no matter what discouragement you got from friends or family or wherever, or the world we live in can be discouraging to you, that there's no point. My generation has a tough time getting a job. It's just a different world. And they could just, there's this lack of, there's this apathy to even try because it's not like what it was in the 60s and 70s, this land of opportunity. My grandparents, it was like getting a job was just easy. You went to college, you got a job. It's almost a guarantee. You might be discouraged just in the world we live that there's, what's the point? And the reality is, is that none of those things matter. That the point is, is that God made you and then we have a certain amount of time of breath in this earth, but then these breaths, they leave, and there's eternity. That's the, that's the whole picture. That's the picture. And God is so gracious and merciful to us to keep reminding us and reminding us and reminding us and reminding us. I'm assuming, because if you're like me, that you need to be reminded of things Often. Who needs to be reminded of things often? I try to create ways to remind myself so that I cannot forget. I'm diligent to to put the thing in front of me or whatever, but still, even still, I need to be reminded. And I don't think that we're much different than the rest of us. I think we're all the same. And God's word is the same. And he's constantly reminding us. And so today, that's a reminder. It's a reminder that this life is short, but there's a purpose in it. We need to seize it. And so the, the reality that she had come to was the same reality that Jesus was trying to preach in the time on this earth. And they couldn't get it. He said, you must be born again, and they were confused. What does this mean? How is this possible? How can you be born again? And what he was talking about was not a physical death to become like me, but a spiritual one. The body is irrelevant, and we've talked about this before, but a spiritual death in you needs to happen. When you were born in this earth God knew what he was doing. He had his plan and his purpose and his will and it's laid out before time for you already. Whether you walk in it or not, isn't this interesting? Whether you decide to walk in it or not, it's there for you. It would be like me saving up for my kids to go to college. Now, whether they go or not, I've already prepared for them. God's plan and his purpose, his will for your life is not reliant on you deciding to accept it. It was already there for you. It's here for you today. Now, the amazing thing, I don't want to re-preach it, last week I said is that God is able to redeem. It doesn't matter what age you are. It's not like the military. When you hit to 32, 33, I think it is, they say, "Up, oh, too old. You missed your time you aren't already in you can do reserves or something like that but you can't you're not going to be able to be in any of the branches and it's not like that with God doesn't matter what age you are it doesn't matter what mess ups you've had none of those things matter with God he will take a very short he will take and we know that because we have the the testimony Jesus is saying listen there's the guy who comes in at the very last second into my kingdom and God gives them each the same reward. Because he, he, the, God, the last guy realizes, I need to be serious. I've wasted time, but that's okay. God's not worried about the waste of time. What he's looking at is the heart that said, okay, I'm going to seize it. And Jesus was preaching about this. Jesus was preaching about this, this death of you and being born again. And it was such a tough concept for them to get, but it's the same choice that is offered to us. And it's one I believe that I hope all here have made, that we have decided to lay down our lives and choose his life. One that is not just for eternity, not just to go to heaven, but also to empower you and to purpose you here while you still have breath. But there's something that happens there's something that happens once we receive, once we accept Jesus Christ. And I want to read you a parable. It's one that, you're, that many of you are familiar with. It's in the book of Luke, chapter eight, verse four. And this is just something that Jesus was sharing with the people. And then he, laid, he gives some further insight to the disciples. And he talks about this idea. He talks about this idea of receiving God. Talks about the idea of you coming to Christ. Really, this, is, this uh, story has been given so many different analogies, but really the simplest, what Jesus was ultimately saying is, you receiving the message. The message is spoken, and it's about a group of people that received it, that actually accepted it. And it's a story about what they did with it. And it says in verse 4, One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. And a farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across this field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. And other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow. But the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it. And choked out the tender plants. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, "Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand." And in verse eleven, he says, "This is the meaning of the parable." The seed is God's word. So this parable is about God's word. And it's all about how you receive it, but also what you do with it. It says, verse 12, that the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away. Where does it say? From their hearts. Wow, that's very interesting. That means the message made it to their hearts. That means they received it. It went into the ground. It was planted. The seed was planted here, but the devil stole it. Why? Because it says that they were hard. Right It says that it fell on the footpath. the footpath is the place that's trampled. it's hard, but this hard person they received it, but they lost it. The devil was able to steal it and it says, and prevent them from believing and being saved. Verse thirteen the seeds that fell on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with Joy, wow, who is so excited when you see somebody accept Jesus Christ into their heart and with joy? I am, but well, this is why I'm kind of a freak about discipleship. I'm such a freak about constantly gathering, and you got to, that word is so important, and being around other Christians is so important, and listening to Christian radio, even if you don't like it because it's at least a better spirit than secular, and what you're watching and who you're hanging out with, etc., is so important because the Bible says that there are even people who received his message with joy. They even received it with joy. But it says, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while. Then they fall away when they face temptation. This is an amazing parable, isn't it? It's so important that we read Jesus' words. Jesus knew what he was doing when he said what he said. And what was preserved and penned down, actually, I think it's John who said it. I'm almost positive. He said, if I were to write down everything, is it John? Write down everything? Yeah. That... Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books. There's not enough pages in the world. There's not enough paper to contain what he did. So if this is what got preserved, I would find this extremely important that Jesus said, make sure, hey, make sure that you pen this. This is something that that can't be lost in translation or in time. In verse 14, and this is what I want to get a little bit deeper into today. It says, Then the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded. The message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never Grow into maturity. Now, finally, Jesus in verse 15 tells you a soil. He's giving you some hard news here. <laughs> these, are, these are soils that are not going to produce life. But he tells us in, in verse 15, and the seeds that fell on good soil, soft, moist, moldable, shapeable, right? I talked about the garden a little bit last week. If you have hard ground, it's not going to be great crops. If you have rocky soil, it's not going to be great crops. If I got weeded, crowded soil, it's not going to be great crops. But the type of soil that he's looking for is the one that's clean. It's removed of the junk. You've allowed him, right, who does the weeding? Does the soil do the weeding? Don't worry about that job. That's not your job, but God will. And I've told you before, don't tell me that after you accepted Christ that, that immediately you didn't feel something tugging on your heart all of a sudden about doing and not doing things. It's a supernatural thing. It's not a mental thing. You make a mental choice to agree with the supernatural, but it's a supernatural thing that he's doing, the gardener, and he'll start weeding you. And he says, the good soil, good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, And patiently produce a huge harvest. Where's the connection though? How am I making this connection between Esther and Jesus and eternal life and this soil? And I truly believe with this parable that what the Bible shows us is that there's tons and tons of opportunity to do your own thing and even to do God things. There's opportunities all the time to do good things, to spend your time doing this, to put it into this hobby or this thing or that thing or become this guy or become that guy or this girl or that girl and we all can become all these different things. That's the time we have and that's the abilities in you and you can do whatever you want with what you are. That's the freedom God gave us. But a true believer is one, the Bible warns us, who is not hard. It was one who lets, who is not surface deep and who is one who is good soil, but ultimately who is one who is not distracted and crowded out by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. He warns us that the word entered you, but be careful just because it entered you, just because you got saved, you received it, you believed it, be careful that your heart is the right soil. And so where's this connection? It is complete and total death. Really what Esther, she didn't actually physically die. God actually spared her physical life. The king, as we read, right, he spared her. He didn't kill her. He could have, and she would have gone down as a martyr for Christ. That verses wouldn't have lost any power, nor would her story have lost power. But he did spare her physically, but she had already decided. Just as I've I've taught you in last week, last year's Easter sermon, Jesus was already dead before he even got to the cross. Before he ever even got to the cross, he was already dead. Not physically, his body wasn't put up there yet. But when he said to the Lord, not my will, but your will be done, death occurred. There was a death. And that moment, and man, the passion, I think the movie captures that moment so well because you've got the serpent, a a Satan in the garden and you see him stand up. He doesn't even look at the devil, doesn't even look at him. He just goes and crushes and there's a good stomp, some good subwoofer there. We give you that feeling of that determination and you see it in his eyes. The Bible says he set his eye like flint. Death had occurred already. He realized that this is it. He went to the Lord. And he prayed to the Lord. And okay, fine. So be it. This is the moment. This is what I was born for. Bam. Let's do this. This is what we've got to do. This is it. And Esther had realized the same thing. And to be honest, to be honest, the type of Christian, the believer that God's looking for is the same here today. It's the same person that he's looking for here today. He warns you, if you try to get put his message in you, if you don't realize, don't realize that the enemy will try to steal it, that the things of this life will try to steal it, the soil, you realize that your soil has to be soft and moldable. And actually, for good growing let's just start thinking outside the box as if your plant could stay there. Good soil is continually turned, right? You can't leave soil the same way every single, eventually even that is gonna need some more fertilizer, some more nutrients, constant watering, constant. Who's ever had a garden that you didn't water? Anybody with our summer droughts? What happens? Doesn't last too long, does it? There's a constancy to your heart. It's not, thank you, Jesus. You've heard me say this plenty of times, and I don't care. I'm going to say it again. Thank you, Jesus. I'll take my happy me, and I'll see you in heaven. That's not our life. That's not Christianity. And I don't care what book has been written about that and what you've heard and what you think. That's not the Bible. Go right to Jesus' words, and he tells us Clearly that your heart's gotta be soft towards him. It's gotta be soft at all times because when the hardness comes, the devil comes. When the cares of this life come, the devil comes. When the things that get in there and distract and get hard and choke, etc., and you're shallow and not deep in the things of God, you will not make it. And God warns us of this. And now this is a good warning. I love warnings. I love warnings. I love stop signs. Who else loves stop signs? Thank God we have them. Because what if we said, you know what? Forget those things. They're not necessary. I need a stop sign. I need it. Because if I don't see that stop sign, I'm not stopping. Hopefully, I might see the car coming. But I might not see that. I need the stop sign. I guess every personality is different. I need stop lights. I need the sign. Tell me this. You know what? Warning, don't go in that road (laughs) because if you hit that road right now and they're doing 45 and you're doing 40, it's going to look like a mess. That's what the Bible is. We shouldn't be afraid of it. We shouldn't be confused. We shouldn't be hurt by this. We should be thankful to the Lord. We should be so incredibly thankful and grateful That he preserved this for us. But I want to read some, just a couple of verses to you to bring this all together. In the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 3, it says, "'Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were,' past tense, "'misled and became slaves,' To many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy, or evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, this present tense, when God, our Savior, revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth. Three things are happening here. He's washing away your sins. He gives you new birth. What are we talking about? What did Esther do? She died. What was Jesus talking about? About being a believer? It was a death. It was an old way. It's a used to. You used to be foolish. Used to be disobedient. You used to be this. You used to be that. You are no longer that anymore now, not because of you, and the scriptures are clear, not because of you or your greatness or your goodness or how good you look, but because of his mercy, he did three things for you. He washed away your sins when you accept it. He gives you new birth. That's what Jesus was talking about. And finally, new life. You come to life again, both here on this earth and for eternity through the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right or righteous. Righteousness is not because of you, but he made you righteous because of his grace in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Now, verse 8, this is why I'm preaching this today. It says, this is a trustworthy saying and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. The Bible's clear. You don't need a lot of my opinions. You Actually, you don't need any of them. Fortunately, you're going to get some sometimes. The Bible is clear. The Bible tells us, he says, all of this, used to be this, but his grace and his mercy, they washed you and regenerated you and refreshed you and gave you new life through the Holy Spirit because he chose, I'm going to die, but I choose to live in Christ. And when that happened, because of his grace, verse 7 says, he gave you the ability to do good to be devoted to good you can't do that on your own you, there's no such thing jesus said what is good how do you even define good depending on what culture you go to you're going to have a different definition how is that something that you can even define in your natural so if we define that based on culture based on age based on race etc right if i was to go over to the middle east and I saw a guy with seven wives, they would say, that's good. His culture really doesn't have any issue with that. Our culture would say, there's a problem here. Let's just leave it at that. There's a problem here. How do you possibly define good? It's not a natural thing. It's a spiritual thing. And it can only happen in submission to Christ. And let me promise you this, That's why I read the scripture the parable of the sower, that unless you are constantly washed, constantly soft, excuse me, constantly letting the Lord work in that heart, constantly the hardness will come, the weeds will try to grow. Do you know if you don't weed a garden, isn't it like, where did you come from? I swear I just picked you yesterday. They come fast don't they, in this world? It's a constant thing. Listen, and that's why I'm building on last week that time is short, and when you realize time is short, then you realize the other thing. Esther realized that the time is now, and she realized I got to do something about this, and her answer was death. The answer to your time being short is just die. It's not a physical death, I wanna see you live long life for Jesus Christ, but it's a death of you, it's a death of your will, it's a death of your desires, That's, and, and it's not my opinion. Jesus promises us if you try to keep your will and your desires and your things and say you died and became a Christian, I'm not going to argue with you whether God's grace is mercy and your salvation. I'm just warning you that the scriptures tell us that there's the potential for the devil to come in and steal what God planted. Not because of God, not because of hate. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. God doesn't send anyone to hell. That's an interesting thought. God doesn't send you to hell. You just, when you were born, your will is wants to do what it wants to do and it's following the inclinations of the devil without you realizing it or not. That's the Bible. It's not my gospel. We come to Christ in turn from that, but if you just let your will do what it will do, it's going to go where he goes. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, Verse eight, I want to bring this together with a few words here. The Bible can be summed up, I believe in two words, the entire Bible. Well, I can say it in two sets of two words. We can say Jesus Christ, but let's take Jesus Christ two words and I'm going to interpret those two words into two other words. Grace and faith. The Bible can literally be boiled down to two words, grace and faith. It says in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for God saved you by his grace when you believed, or you may know it as you've been saved by grace through faith. Faith is belief, but not just I believe in such and such. When it's about to rain, do you believe it's going to rain enough to grab an umbrella or to possibly grab a hat, or just know that I'm going to get wet. But you know it enough that you do something about it. That's real belief. Real belief is not, I believe in rain. I believe in rain. But I believe it's that the weather report might be right this time. It's a 50-50 chance. <laughs> it might rain, it might not. 50%. I love those reports, 50%. Eh, either way, it could go either way. But when you believe it, there's an action that comes out of it. The action is not something else. It is belief. It's a reflection of belief. And this, this word here is that the Greek word implies that, believed. That his, God's grace towards me and my belief that he did something for me enough to cause me to act upon it. And when I act upon it, I get salvation, eternal life, God's promises, freedom, hope, joy, peace, etc. Package deal. And it says, the verse says, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Now listen, you have to read verse 9 first before we read verse 10. But listen, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. It's like that retirement, it's like that college tuition that's already prepared for you. Whether you accept it or believe it or not, it's already there. It's your choice to accept it. Now, once we do, it wasn't because you deserved it. It was just there for you. Now, you can squander it. You can squander it. Who has been sent away? Who has seen that? Where the parents send their kids away and spend all this money and the kid does nothing with it. That's your choice as well. It doesn't mean that the father said, oh, I shouldn't have saved it up for you. Well, maybe in the natural, but God's not regretting that he saved it up. He just would wish that you were serious about what he did for you. So he says, though, that you have to understand it's not a reward, but once you get it, verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So come on, let's read this together. Why did he create us anew in Christ Jesus? Why did he give us such a free gift? Why did he save us without any cost? Why? Let's read it together. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Wow. Wow. So God... When he formed you in your mother's womb and made you, even though you were born into a world of sin and did what you wanted for a season, that may be a short season for some, maybe a long season for others of stubbornness and rebellion against God. But at some point, that person that you were dies to come to Christ. And Jesus says to you, I'm not worried about that life. Not word, you don't you don't need to do anything. This is a free gift. This is truly free. But when you receive it and accept it, I have some things. Listen, not that I'm gonna make you do, not that I'm gonna make you do, but check this out. Let's expound on this and close with this. In Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it gets to you. Your salvation gets to you. The grace gets to you. God found a way to get to you. He bypassed your sin. He bypassed your rebellion. He bypassed your will. You die. You accept his life. You're new, new, reborn, refreshed, Holy Spirit-filled. You put in your deeps, your deeps down root, putting your roots down deep. You're putting your roots down deep. You're pushing aside the cares of the world. You're pushing aside the things of the enemy. You're trying to, you're moving the hardness and getting soft before the Lord so your soil can grow something for God. But it sounds a lot like you do this, you do that, you do this. Let's read what the scriptures say. Verse five you must have the same attitude or the mind of Christ. You must have this, you got to set your mind with this. You got to have the attitude that Christ Jesus had. What? So, wait, what does the scripture say? It says you must not, you know, if you feel like it. Now listen, depending on what type of Christian you are, depending on what type of denomination, I understand. It's not your denomination. I get it. That's not your theology. No. Jesus doesn't say any of that. He's not really concerned about what your church is or, or how they worship, he says, you, God to you, must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. If you're a Christian, you gotta have his mind. You have to have his attitude. And well, let's read. Philippians expounds on it. They don't leave it there for us to wonder. It tells us exactly what Christ's attitude was. It says, verse six, though he was God. Remember, Jesus was God. Anybody forget that? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up. Come on. Let's read the Bible. Jesus gave up. Sounds very familiar to Esther's story. Sorry that I had to keep bringing it, but I just feel like the Lord really wanted to pound that down to get this into our hearts. She was given divine privilege. There was a divine privilege that was given to you when you accepted Christ, and you've been given so incredibly much in Christ. Christ. But he says he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. And specifically, this is a slave by choice, or you might know it as a bondservant. This is a slave who decides to become a slave. And he says he was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died. A criminal's death on a cross. Now, wait a second. Let's back up. Uh, Maybe I, you know what it is? I skipped a verse or two here. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Let me just, give me a second. I think I missed something here. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the position to say, no, actually, this is, no, it's going in line. I didn't miss anything. Wait a second. So our attitude Wait a second. So our attitude, the same as Christ, is one that even though I have so many privileges and even though I've been given so much, I'm not going to take that and just cling to it and say, well, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm free, forget you. I'm going to instead, instead, I'm going to humble myself in obedience And die a criminal's death. I'm not worried. I don't care what the world says, what the world thinks, what the world does. Verse 9, therefore though, listen, this is what God does. Therefore God elevated him. Now if the same heart in us, if the same heart, the heart that Christ had is in us, then what is the same promise for us as well? You will be elevated, and that's what it tells us. The Bible says that we were seated as if we had already given our lives, as if we were already dead, as if we had already laid it down. Colossians 3, you died and are seated with Christ. That looks oddly familiar. God elevated him and elevates you to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. He seats us right with him. And it says in verse 10 that the name That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In verse 11, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he says in verse 12, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, he's been away about 2,000 years, but this letter is still just as relevant today. Now that I'm away, it is even, what does that say? Say less important. It is even more important now. It is more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Verse 13, for God is working. Now listen, he doesn't tell you, you got to be good. You got to be great because you can't be. You're not going to do it. He tells you, you got to have the heart of Christ. You got to have the mind of Christ. You have to die. And I don't worry about death because I'm going to give you eternal life. And where I store up your riches, moth and rust can't destroy. Thieves can't break in and steal. So just give up this life, this temporary place, this fake, this facade, give it up, and I'm going to give you eternity and seat you with my son in the place of highest honor forever and ever and ever. Who's willing to do that? But don't think you can do that yourself. So he says, tells us clearly, verse 13, for God is working in you. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let's read that again. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. God will give you the power. He gives you the, it says, the will and the do, right? If you know a traditional text, he gives you the will and the do. He gives you the power And he gives you the want, the desire to use that power to do what? To do what pleases him. This is a believer. This is a true Christian. That's what the Bible says a believer is. In verse 14, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the world of life then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. He's talking about all the time I put into you and teaching you and preaching to you. I pray that it's not in vain because you're going to do what I'm asking you and reminding you to do. And he says in verse 17, but I will rejoice even if, now here's Paul saying the same thing that Esther said, the same thing that Jesus said, he says, And I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Matthew Henry, one of my favorite commentators, I go to him a lot when I'm trying to figure out what some scriptures are saying or just for some extra insight. And he said, that God gives the whole ability and the grace of God is that which inclines the will inside of you to do what God has called you to do. The real Christian is one that doesn't have, I'm not telling you to quit your job. Now, nobody come to me and say, I quit my job because you told me. No one come and say, you know, uh, um, I literally am out on the street because I gave up everything like you said. This is a mental, this is a spiritual condition. Now, out of that mental and spiritual condition, some things go. I was just telling Dawn, that time that you enjoy spending on whatever, that the closer you get to Christ, it's not that God says you have to, but you decide to spend less time doing what you want to do. Even things that aren't, it's not of the devil, but I do less of that hobby time. Even if it's just I trimmed off, I just, I can't spend another hour here doing this or that because my life, this things don't matter, but eternity, the kingdom, the people, these things do. And we should just be more aware of the things that matter and less aware and he will get you he'll start plucking those things on his own believe me god knows how to get it out of you and just be willing when he says this weed's got to go to let him do it just let him do that in his way and his timing but don't try to hold on to it because when we do those things begin to choke they begin to crowd and we start missing what the whole point was we start to try to live again on this earth when you told Christ that I'm dead to me, that I'm dying, and you live through me. And if we made that commitment to him, then let's stand by that, right? As this church, let's stand literally right now. <laughs> let's stand by that and actually stand. Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us. We thank you, Lord. I can't say it enough that you have preserved your word for us. That you loved us enough to put your word On paper and preserve it, Lord. Continue to send it all over the world so that we can't stand before you and say, I didn't know, because we do know. Your word tells us clearly. We do know. We know that you have a plan and a purpose, and everyone here, I want this to sink into your heart, that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Just the fact that you were born proves that. Don't let science or fake science lie to you. We thank you, Lord, that they, this group of people, that each person here has abilities. They have gifts. They have things within them, Lord, that are beyond them to do for you, Lord. They've been born For such a time as this, and they've been born, Lord, to lay down the things that they want to do, their will, and die to themselves and live for you. And I thank you, Lord, that as we do, Lord, that you give us so much more than we could ever imagine in this temporary life. Lord, I just give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.